Simply not getting enough nighttime sleep is a common cause of excessive daytime sleepiness, but the list of causes is much longer than sleep deprivation only. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothills Psychiatry in Boise. Your host, and with me today, is psychiatrist Dr. Chris Bojrab. In addition to his outpatient practice and administrative responsibilities as president of Indiana Health Group, he has served as a medical director for the Dr. Robert and Lillian Custer Center, an internationally known center specializing in the treatment of gambling addictions. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much, Leslie. It's my pleasure to be with you here today. So, Chris, what are the most common causes of excessive daytime sleepiness? We're really talking about a myriad of disorders. I think if you run down the list of the most common causes of excessive daytime sleepiness, we would think about insomnia in all of its forms. And it's important to remember that when we talk about insomnia clinically, we're not simply talking about difficulty falling asleep, but also in the quality and quantity of sleep that patients are able to maintain. So it's not just enough to ask them, how are you falling asleep? We have to ask them, are you staying asleep? If you wake up, why are you waking up? How long are you awake? Can you fall back to sleep? What time do you wake up during the morning? How do you feel when you wake up? Do you need naps during the day? So really trying to get a good sense of the patient's entire sort of sleep portfolio across the day. Beyond insomnia, certainly other sleep disorders like sleep apnea, periodic limb movements, restless leg syndrome can contribute significantly to daytime sleepiness. Anytime, anything that's going to interfere with a person's ability to either achieve a decent sleep or maintain a decent sleep. Certainly, we are often to blame as healthcare providers. There are a number of iatrogenic causes of excessive daytime sleepiness, uh, such as the medications that we provide to patients or when we have patients who are being treated for cancers and are going through radiation therapy or chemotherapy. This can take a significant toll on a person's daytime level of energy and the degree of sleepiness that they have. There are also a variety of very common medical conditions that have excessive daytime sleepiness as a very common symptom, things such as anemia and thyroid disease. Just this morning as I was getting ready to leave the house, I was watching one of the major network news shows, and they had an interview with Oprah Winfrey talking about her recent diagnosis of hypothyroidism, and another person in the media was talking about their recent diagnosis of anemia and the degree to which this had contributed to really just crippling fatigue for them during the day. Vitamin B12 deficiency, we're taught about this in medical school, and sometimes we don't think much about it once we get out in practice. The other things that our patients are doing, in addition to the ways in which they may self-restrict the hours of sleep that they get, the other things that they're consuming in terms of uh, recreational drugs, alcohol, can certainly have an effect on excessive daytime sleepiness. So perhaps one way to divide this huge list is sort of extrinsic factors, things that are done to you, or like drugs, alcohol, caffeine, et cetera, and then things that are intrinsic, like sleep disorders. Exactly. Now, does this list vary with the patient's age? It certainly can. There are a number of age-related health issues that may put certain age groups at an increased risk of, of excessive sleepiness. Sleep apnea can affect people really, of course, of all ages, we're most likely to see it happen to people in middle age. There is a little bit of a gender difference, actually. Men are more prone to have sleep apnea earlier on, but once women hit the age of menopause and beyond, their rates of sleep apnea increase to catch right up with the rate seen in men if it doesn't even exceed it. We also identify different patterns of normal sleep based on a patient's age. 
younger patients will often have this phase delay syndrome. So our teenagers who want to stay up late and be up late and then sleep in later in the morning, that is actually a reflection of their normal circadian rhythms, which is a little bit different than those of young adults. On the flip side, as we joke about our parents, you know, napping excessively and going to bed much earlier and wanting to eat dinner at 4 or 5, go to bed at 8 or 9 o'clock, and then waking up at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, that is also actually a reflection of their normal circadian rhythm. So there are some differences that are predicated on age. Issues such as restless leg syndrome can actually be seen sometimes in children and adolescents more commonly diagnosed in adults. Also, as we age, we increase our risk factors uh, for things that directly contribute to our sleep, such as risk for OSA. As we enter the workforce, if we're working a a non-traditional shift, we can certainly be vulnerable to shift work sleep disorder. And as we grow older and accumulate more medical comorbidities, that can certainly increase our risk or our vulnerability to excessive daytime sleepiness. So I like to eat dinner at 5 and go to bed at 9. Am I an old person? (laughs) Leslie, I would never say such a thing about you. <laughs> Yikes, I was a little scary, Chris. <laughs> well, we'll write that off to the fact of your extensive uh, traveling and lecture uh, work and uh, and jutting across so many time zones. That's so we'll right. I really have shift work sleep disorder. I'm not old. Exactly. So actually, that's an important point. Let's talk a little bit more about lifestyle sorts of issues. You know, some people just think that this is a problem of our 24-7, go, 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 uh, crazy lifestyle. But it sounds like it can be certainly more than that. It really can be. Now, certainly it's the case that we probably as a nation are sleeping fewer hours than we did 100 years ago. And this is predicated largely upon changes in technology and lifestyle. You know, prior to the invention of electricity or the widespread use of electricity to as a light source or even gas, We generally rose when the sun came up and went to bed shortly after it went down. So people, on average, tended to sleep more hours. These days, we we have a greater ability to affect our environment and sort of mess with nature's natural rhythms for us. So I think it's true that we are sleeping less as a nation. We, We also, I think, tend to overestimate our ability to function adequately on a small amount of sleep. Most studies would suggest that the majority of patients really do function best when they've had six to eight hours of sleep per night. There is about 10% of the population that is categorized as short sleepers who really do seem to function very well on four hours of sleep and roughly about 10% of the population that may be long sleepers where they really need closer to 10 hours of sleep to function adequately. But for the most part, the bulk of the population should be getting six, seven, eight hours of sleep per night. Just to show you how timely this topic is, just this morning also on a different news channel, I saw a reference to a study that stated the average American probably overestimates the amount of sleep that they actually receive by about 20 to 30 percent. So, again, we're really not very good judges of the quality, to say nothing of the quantity of our own sleep. Yeah, boy, no kidding. You're obviously not excessively sleepy, Chris. You've been able to watch TV this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, I just read, too, that still Americans work more than any other culture on the planet, even Japan, that we work more hours and take less vacation than any other country. So I wonder if people feel almost that this is kind of a necessary thing to keep their job and keep up with the Joneses. You know, I I think so. If, If you look at the demographics of the country, if you look at the number of households where we have two-income families and the number of hours being worked, 
And at the same time, if we look at what our children are involved in these days compared to when you and I were younger, I recall being younger playing Little League baseball or maybe playing football, but certainly my friends and I weren't involved in multiple sports at the same time consistently throughout the year the way our children are today. So in addition to balancing our own personal lives and our work lives, we're also trying to play shuttle service for our kids, running them around to all these things, and then starting them on that path of busy, 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 push, 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 go, go, go. So I think as a nation, at some point, we probably need to deal with this and pay more attention to that balance between work and play and take a little more time for ourselves and to be more mindful of the effect that those decisions do ultimately have on our health. Now, how do you do that in a clinical situation? Isn't it difficult sometimes to assess what component these lifestyle issues play in a person that maybe does have something else like obstructive sleep apnea or depression? How do you tease that out, what's kind of intrinsic and what's extrinsic? You know, like with so many areas of medicine, uh, it, it probably gets back to our roots. So despite the wonderful technology that we have access to, I think probably the most critical thing for us to do is to listen, to take a good history like we were all trained to do in medical school. So to try to get a sense from patients, the time course of the development of their excessive daytime sleepiness. If a person had been a shift worker and that didn't seem to in and of itself cause them to have excessive daytime sleepiness, but once they had gained some weight and then maybe their spouse noticed that they were snoring more, That's a patient for whom the obstructive sleep apnea may contribute more to their excessive daytime sleepiness. But if you've gone back and if you've evaluated that and if you've tried to rectify that to the extent that you can and they're still suffering from residual excessive daytime sleepiness, then it makes sense to think about exploring other possible causes and also certainly exploring other treatments. We don't want to assume just because we've given somebody a sleep study or just because we've put them on CPAP that they're necessarily going to see resolution of their fatigue. In fact, probably upwards of 30% of patients with obstructive sleep apnea who are titrated appropriately and successfully with CPAP still have clinically relevant residual excessive daytime sleepiness. Wow. So not quite the rule, but certainly not the exception. Right. I, I think that, you know, certainly CPAP has been critically important for patients with obstructive sleep apnea. CPAP saves lives. CPAP helps to reduce the cardiovascular morbidity and mortality associated with untreated sleep apnea. So we help to reduce those risks of stroke, heart attack, secondary pulmonary hypertension, but we don't as reliably improve daytime sleepiness. So it's important that we not just assume because patients are bringing in their machines or bringing in their smart cards and we're evaluating those, and yes, they're using this for an appropriate amount of time each night, We don't want to just automatically assume that that necessarily translates into complete resolution of their excessive daytime sleepiness. Now, how about medication-induced sleepiness? Certainly, medication-induced sleepiness uh, is a significant problem. One of the most common side effects of nearly any medicine in the U.S. pharmacopoeia is somnolence. Uh, It's a very common side effect with a variety of our medications, whether we're talking about psychotropic medicines, whether we're talking about cardiovascular medicines like antihypertensives or even some of the medicines used to treat dyslipidemias, certainly medicines that are used to treat chronic immunologic problems, chronic rheumatologic problems can frequently cause excessive daytime sleepiness or cause fatigue as a side effect. 
And unfortunately, sometimes these are really medicines that are required, and there's not an option to simply forego them because they're causing some degree of, of fatigue. If we open up the Pandora's box of treating chronic pain patients, certainly the extent to which our chronic pain patients rely on narcotic-based pain medicines really shows up with excessive daytime sleepiness as being a significant side effect for those patients to deal with chronically. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Chris Bojrab. We have been discussing the etiology of excessive daytime sleepiness. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 